Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. You know, Thursdays, you know, for for me here, working here at church, Thursdays are my day off. Um, And so I love every Thursday I get to spend some time with my wife, Sarah. And one of the things that we do is we get to catch up with my grandparents. And uh, my grandparents are 93 years of age, so they're doing strong. Some of you may know them, Stella and Ian. Give us a shout. Sam Schroeder, are you here? (laughs) So my grandparents, uh, yeah, they're 93 years old and... We get to go to Michelle's at St. Agnes Shopping Centre and uh, I get Granny a cappuccino and I get my grandpa a small iced coffee and then normally Granny goes a bit crazy and gets herself a little slice as well, um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, good on her. I'm not allowed to have it, but Granny can. At 93 years of age, you can have whatever you want. One of the things I love about my grandparents is their love for us, but also when we start talking, they're always asking questions, you know, how's Amelie, how's Isla, how's the family, how are things going? And Grandpa always says, you know, I was just thinking about you the other day and God placed you on my heart and I just started praying for you. Or Granny says, you know, this word came to me for you and I really believe that I wanted to share this with you. And my grandparents are both prayer warriors and one of the things that I love about them is even though they you know could be just at home watching reruns of the bill or whatever their favorite (laughs) British soapy is they know their purpose they know their calling they're not just here just to see out their days but they're here to make an impact they're here to change lives even at 93 years of age see I believe all of us have a purpose beyond just what is in front of us There's more to you. Some of us may have the title of administrator or receptionist, but you have a higher calling. You you might have a title of student, but you have a higher calling. You may have a title of mum or dad or grandparent, but you have a higher calling, a higher purpose. We all live life for a purpose. We all live for something. And tonight I want to talk about what is your purpose. You see, some of us have a dream to own our own house, to be successful in our job, and we're chasing that dream, and that's our purpose. It can involve working from early mornings through to late nights, chasing that dream, earning enough money just to be able to pay for all of the things in life that everyone will tell you is successful. Or sometimes as for us as parents, is to be able to work hard, to be able to provide for our children everything that we didn't have when we were children and when we were growing up when really all they want is us. Some of us want to find someone to love us. And we're going out at night and just getting plastered, doing things that you regret. Also, someone might love you, even if it's for the night. We have sports, relationships, online gaming. Sometimes we live our lives just in front of the TV or the computer. It's the first thing we do in the morning. And as soon as we get home from work or school, it's straight back into that virtual world, out of reality. See, I'm going to tell you tonight, life is short. It's a vapour. And what we do and how we use our time now in this blip that we call life is so important. Because not only will it affect your eternity, but it will affect your children's eternity and the eternity of those around you. See, you've been called on purpose 
for a purpose. The life of Jesus, as recorded in the Gospels, tells us of a man who knew his purpose. He knew his mission. He knew what he was put here for, and he was committed to it, even to the point of death. And this evening, I want to look at the text in the book of John, which describes Jesus' meeting of the woman at the well. You see, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. There was the 12 disciples, and then Jesus had the inner three, and John was one of those inner three. And so when John's writing this book that he called after himself, I don't know if that's a little bit egocentric, See if we can get the book of Phil. <laughs> no. John was an eyewitness. John was someone who walked with Jesus and he's writing from his own personal experience. And it goes on to say in John chapter 4, starting at verse 1, Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John the Baptist performed. Although his disciples, not Jesus, actually did the, the baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given to his son Joseph. We all know the field. I like it how the Bible is so descriptive. You know the field, the one next to the Joseph bought for his son? Is it just me? I love it how the Bible is so descriptive. Jacob's well was still there. Interesting point, Jacob's well was still there. You can go there and visit Jacob's well to this day. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well and it was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of this water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, asked, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be, out, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. You see, Jesus is in the Judean countryside. So Judea, Judea was the name of the Roman province at the time, but it's basically the lower third of what we call current day Israel. And the Pharisees had started pitching uh, John the Baptist followers against Jesus followers, you know the old saying, divide and conquer, and put this competition and this drama between John the Baptist and between Jesus. So Jesus decides to leave the drama behind and leave the competitions behind and go back to Galilee where he grew up, where Nazareth is. But to get to Galilee, Galilee's in the top third of the country of Israel, there's Samaria right in the middle. So to understand Samaria, we have to go back a couple of hundred years. This, we understand that this land of Israel is an ancient land. It has issues, unresolved disputes dating back millennia. We see them today, and back in Jesus' time, it was no different. You see, a few hundred years earlier, the Babylonian Empire had come and conquered the kingdom of Judah. And with that, they'd taken away most of the uh, citizens as captives back to Babylon. And in their place, they'd brought all these other people from the Babylonian Empire and they'd moved in and filled the land and started living in the homes of these Jews that had been taken captive. People moved in these homes and took over their lives and started living uh, as these Jews were living. And with that, the Samaritans adopted this warped version of, of the Jewish faith. Uh, after Babylon fell to Persia, the Persian Empire then took over. The Samaritans 
um, were still living there and the Jews were able to come back and start living in there. And because the Jews had come back to their rightful land, what they saw as their rightful land, and the Samaritans had been living there for a long time as well, they saw each other as competitors and they really didn't like each other much. And stepping into this ancient context was Jesus. See, after conflict and drama in Jerusalem, he'd made the decision to start on his journey back to Galilee and to get there, he had to pass through this town of Sychar. You see, Jesus is on a journey. He's on a mission to Galilee. And on this journey, he needs to rest. He arrives tired and hungry in the middle of the day and he meets this Samaritan woman. And although tired, hungry and thirsty, he still engages her. Although he was on a mission to get to Galilee, he also recognised that he had a higher mission and a higher calling, and that was to save the lost. No matter, how we, no matter what we feel our purpose in life, whether it's to be a great parent or to express yourself through song or maybe to dominate on the Xbox, whatever you feel your purpose is, we've all been called to a higher calling a higher purpose, a purpose inherited from Jesus, and that is to save the lost. To save the lost in our family, our friends, our schools, our universities, our workplace. Every one of us has a higher calling. You see, whenever someone used to ask me before in, in previous roles, they'd say, oh, what have you been up to today? I'd say, I've been changing the, changing the world one email at a time. You see, it was a joke. I'm always a positive person. What have you been doing? I've been changing the world. It was a joke. But at the same time, there was an element of serious to it because I understood that it was a higher calling. I'm not just sending an email, but there's someone at the end of that email that may be impacted by what I'm sending. For us to live a life on purpose, to live in this higher calling, I believe there are some things that we can take out of this passage of Scripture and apply to our lives. This journey of faith and of higher purpose simply requires us to start. See, we can get caught up in life, in work, in family, in friends and in church, in the rhythms and routine of life that sometimes we can miss the point. John chapter 4 starts out, Jesus realised that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John performed. And they'd posted that score and that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and he went back to, back to Galilee. See, Jesus recognised the drama, he recognised the conflict, and he recognised that this wasn't healthy for anyone. And if he stayed where he was, he would have got drawn into this conflict and made no progress at all, and he would have got distracted from his higher calling. And there are things in our life that if we remain in them, it will stop us from following our purpose. And I believe there are things that we need to leave behind. I remember when I first started driving, you know, my dad was my driving instructor and, uh, you know, I got my licence when I was 16. On my 16th birthday, I was at the police station doors doing the test and I got my licence and then I was 16 and a half and I got my P's. It seems a lot less complicated then than it does now. I still don't understand logbooks and P1 and P2 and... You know, just drive safely. <laughs> so I got my P's. I won't tell you. I'll tell you that story another time about me getting my P's. Interesting growing up in the country, how things are a little bit different. So anyway, I got my P's. And then one morning after church, my dad asked me to take one of the girls home from youth. And so me being the cocky 16 and a half year old that I am, 
got in the car. My dad had this 1995 blue Magnus station wagon. It was a manual. So this girl jumped in the car and it was one of the girls from the youth group and I was giving her a lift home. And I got in the car, I turned on the engine and, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, manuals, you put your foot on the accelerator a little bit, you release the clutch and I'm doing all of this motion in my head and it stalls. It's all right. I'll play it cool, just, you know, an awkward laugh and then keep, try again. So I try it again, I put the accelerator down a little bit, lift the clutch up and it stalls again. I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with this car? This went on, no, no kidding, for like two or three minutes. It was so embarrassing. I stalled the car no less than 20 times. It was so embarrassing. I ended up just stopping, turning the car off, getting out, and then getting, and then, you know, because you do a walk around the car because that will fix it. You lift, lift the bonnet and look at it just to make sure everything's still there. Yep, there's an engine there. That's good. I get back in the car and I start the car up and I look and I release the handbrake. I'd left the handbrake on the whole time. I was so humiliated. But it was stopping me from going where I needed to go. What is your handbrake? And what is stopping you from starting? Unhealthy addictions. Pornography, alcohol, drugs, devices, unhealthy relationships, relationships that are abusive, that are neglectful, that are emotionally empty, that are full of drama and conflict. You see, sometimes in life we just need to leave the drama behind. It can weigh us down and it can be a, a handbrake on us moving forward. Unhealthy behaviours such as laziness, unhealthy comparisons, we look and see someone else's Instagram and see the perfect shot, but we don't see the 150 selfies and the 30 minutes of posing it took to get that shot. <laughs> you see, comparing yourself to the person alongside you will destroy you because you're not comparing apples for apples. You're comparing yourself to someone or something that's fake. It's not real. Whatever's online, it's not real. We've got to compare ourselves only to what God says about us. All of these are handbrakes stopping us from moving forward and getting on purpose. What is it that's stopping you from moving forward? There are things in our lives we know that aren't good for us, things that God is showing us. And I think even now as I'm speaking, God is highlighting things in your life that need to be resolved. You can't go on as you are. You can't move forward until you deal with it. There are habits, behaviours, dependencies that although they feel good at the time and they help you and they make you feel better for a moment when the effect wears off when you wake up you're left feeling empty inside these are handbrakes on you reaching your potential to reaching true peace and to reaching true joy and to following our god-given purpose matthew 11 verse 28 says come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and i will give you rest Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What you're dealing with, what you're going through, whatever you're carrying, God wants to take it and deal with it and make you whole. But he can't do anything until you release it to him. You see, the old Chinese proverb says, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Sometimes we just need to start. 
We don't need to wait to be perfect before we start. If we keep on waiting for the right moment or until I get to this stage of life where I achieve this, then we will never start. You see, if God had waited for David to be perfect, he would never have killed Goliath. If God had waited for Joshua to be perfect, they would never have conquered the promised land. If God had waited for Paul to be perfect, we wouldn't have over half of the New Testament. And if God had waited for Peter to be perfect, he would never have given the sermon in the temple on the day of Pentecost, which kick-started the Christian religion. You see, God doesn't ask for perfection before he can use you. He just asks for a willing heart and someone who's ready just to put one foot in front of the other. The journey starts now. Release the handbrake and take one step forward. To stay on purpose, we just need to start. We need to release the handbrake and start putting one foot in front of the other. But we also need to remember there's a time to sit and rest. Do we have time in our busy schedule to sit and just be and to meet with God? And can God interrupt our day? You see, John chapter 4 says, uh, you know, halfway through that scripture I was reading, to get there, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. You see, Jesus is on this mission to get to Galilee. He knows he needs to be in Galilee. But when he gets to Samaria, he takes the time to stop and to rest. He got to that village where the field that, you know, the, to the well where th- that's in the field that borders the thing that Jacob, you remember that one? <laughs> Jacob's well is still there. So Jesus, worn out by the trip, takes the time to stop and rest. You see, we need to rest, not only physically, but mentally and spiritually. We need time to stop and be alone with our thoughts and with God. We need to take time out to sit and be quiet. When was the last time that you had the time where you just switched off your phone, you switched off the TV and put on a bit of worship music and just listened or just sung quietly? It's so important for us to, you know, we we are so concentrated on getting to the gym and making sure that, you know, we're there three times a week, or in my case, three times a year. (laughs) No, just joking, it's not that much. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) Who am I kidding? We need to take time out. Put the electronic devices away. Turn your phone off, unless you're using it for music, in which case put it away from you. Turn your laptop off. Turn your computer off. Turn your TV off. All the distractions that are around you. Find a time just to sit and be quiet and exercise your spiritual muscle. I exercise that one a lot more. You see, there's a difference between rest and laziness. When we rest, we cease movement so our body and mind can recover its strength, ready to continue on the journey. Laziness happens once we stop and then we're unwilling to get up and get going again. Rest is purposeful and strategic. It's a planned stop on your journey. It isn't the journey. Jesus rested for a reason and it gave him an opportunity to be more aware of those around him. It gave him an opportunity to engage this Samaritan woman in conversation and to outwork his higher purpose. And if we rest, it will give us the opportunity to be more aware of those around us and we'll have an increased emotional, mental and physical capacity to engage with those around us. You know, I love that Snickers ad. I don't know if you've seen the Snickers ads recently, but there was one that came on and there's a group of guys and they're having a bit of three-on-three NFL and there's Betty White in the middle of it running 
and she's slow and she's getting tackled. And they call a huddle and they, the huddle comes in and there's a couple of guys and there's Betty White. And he says, Mike, what's your deal, man? One of the, one of the players, he goes, Mike, what's your deal? You're playing like Betty White. Does anyone remember the ad? And then his girlfriend calls him over and says, Mike, come over here. And she gives him a Snickers and he turns back into Mike. He takes the opportunity to have a Snickers and recharge himself. And all of a sudden, he's an awesome NFL player again. You see, we all need regular planned Snickers breaks. And some people need to hear this. It's okay to rest. It's okay to stop. It's how your body was designed and Jesus himself rested and you need to rest to operate at your best. There's a rhyme there. But you can't stay there. You can't stop. You can't park and you can't pull up the handbrake. How often do we miss our purpose just because we're so busy? Just because we're so busy running around from here to there, our body is worn out, we're tired, and we can't think clearly. We need to rest. I know that when I rest, I'm a better father, I'm a better husband, I'm a better worker, I'm just better. Jesus goes on to say later in the book, in, 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 uh, sorry, John goes on to say later in chapter 4, in verse 35, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up, look around you. The fields are ready and they're ripe for harvest. We need to look around. The fields are ready. Your children are ready for a better father or mother. Your spouse is ready for a better husband or wife. Your workplace and sporting clubs are ready. Your schools and universities are ready. The best you is arrested and refreshed you. Not only do we need to rest our minds and bodies so that they're ready, but we need to recharge our spirit. Jesus quite often went away to be alone with God, and this is the example for us to follow as well. We need to, as I said, put away the eye devices, turn off the computer, turn off the TV, and meditate on God's Word. Are we making time in our schedule for regular gym visits, but also spiritual gym visits? You see, a runner doesn't just go out and get on the track and run a marathon you know, off, off the back and just do it. You know, not many people are able to get out and just run a marathon. But a runner needs to prepare himself. He needs to make sure that he's following a strategy of diet, of exercise, of going to the gym, of getting his body ready, but also of getting his mind mentally ready. You see, a runner doesn't just get out there and run the race. Usain Bolt, although he's very fast, he couldn't just get out there and just run and win. However, what, 16 gold medals? In the same way. We need to get into a habit of sitting, resting, and allowing our mind and body to be refreshed, ready and alert. We need to spend deliberate time away from distractions, reading, praying, allowing that living water to fill us so that when we run the race, we're, we're able to fulfill God's purpose. To stay on purpose, we need to start. We need to take the handbrake off and start moving forward. We need to sit, rest, and be ready. But there's also a time for us to speak. You see, there are times for sitting and listening, and there are times for action. There are times that need us to speak. John chapter 4, when we get to verse 7, Jesus said, Would you give me a drink of water? And the Samaritan woman was taken aback and asked, How could you, a Jew, be asking me for a drink? And Jesus answered, If you knew the generosity of God, who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would be giving you fresh, living water. You see, Jesus was tired. He was hungry. 
and he was thirsty. And he was well within his rights to sit there and just to disengage and to let his mind just wander. You know, he was tired. He just walked at least a couple of days from the Judean countryside through to this village in Samaria. But Jesus never was someone to do what was considered right. He was someone who ate with tax collectors, who walked with prostitutes, who touched the unclean. And the woman he met at the well, he chose to engage her, despite how he was feeling. And not only did he engage her, he looked this woman in the eye and looked at her in a way that she hadn't had a man look at her for a long time. You see, this woman, we go on to hear, had been divorced five times and had also been living with another man. She had known love. She'd known heartbreak. She'd known what it been, means to be used and she known what it mean to be, she knew what it meant to be abused. But Jesus looked beyond that. Jesus looked at her and into her eyes and looked at her as a person for the first time. She'd never had that before. Jesus took the time to actually stop and engage her. And many Samaritans from that village, it goes on to say in John chapter 4, committed themselves to him because of the witness of this woman. Jesus impacted her so much by just stopping and engaging with her that so many other people's lives were changed. That whole village's lives were changed. Her life was changed. When we choose to move out of our comfort zone, to take the handbrake off and to do something, we have no idea what sort of spark that fire could create. You see, there's a story in the Bible about the, uh, a, a woman called Esther. You know, Esther was one of those Jews that was carried away from captivity and she was someone that was chosen out of all of the women in the land to become the wife of King Xerxes. So King Xerxes, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The 300. You know, the one with the classic line, this is Sparta. Yeah. If you've seen that movie, no? Andre's seen it. You can fill people in later. If you don't, haven't seen the movie, come and see him. Anyway, King Xerxes is from that film. It works when you know the example. So King Xerxes was the most powerful man in the world and Esther was in a perfect place to be in his ear. And Esther's uncle Mordecai uncovers this plot to eliminate all of the Jews in the entire kingdom of Persia. And uh, her uncle tells Esther and Esther says, you've got to say something. And this is all recorded in the book of Esther. It's a short book as well. So if you wanted to have a read, please take your time, not now, maybe after the service, to have a read through that. You see, Mordecai was sending letters to his, his niece, Esther, and Esther was sending letters back. And it goes on to say in Esther chapter 4, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in this place, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arrive from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. If the band could come, that would be great. Because Esther spoke up, even when she knew she could die, the Jewish people were saved from genocide. Because Jesus spoke up, even when he was tired, hungry and thirsty, a woman's eternity was changed. Who is waiting for you to speak up? Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. 
Who is waiting for you to say something? Who is waiting for you to look them in the eye and to tell them that Jesus loves them? Who's waiting for you in your workplace, in your school, to let them know that their life doesn't have to be this way? Who's in your workplace? Who's in your school? Who's in your university? Who's in your friendship circle? That all they need to do is know that there's someone out there that cares about them. Who is waiting for you? I posted a picture on my Instagram last night and it's a quote by a guy called Hillel the Elder. And I'm going to read this to you tonight. If not you, then who? If it's not going to be you that speaks up and speaks life into this person's situation, I can't do it. I don't know them. I don't work in your workplace. I don't go to your school. I can't be Jesus' hands and feet at King's Baptist. I can't be Jesus' hands and feet at Tyndale Christian School. I can't be Jesus' hands and feet at Adelaide University. But you can. God has called you for such a time as this. And if not you, then who? It can't be me. I'm Jesus' hands and feet to my family, to my friends, to my workplace, to my social circles. But God has called each and every one of us. We all have a higher purpose. We all have a calling. God needs you to outwork His love. And there are people waiting for you to look them in the eye and for them to know that someone loves them, that someone cares for them. They're waiting. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 